Well, uh, we're doing a lot of things uh, to continue to focus on the Gospel of John and presenting the book of John, uh, which is the Modern Passion Play on April 7th. So I hope you've got that date down. Our choir is preparing for the musical. The, the music they're singing on Sunday mornings is a preparation for that. You'll hear those doing the um, Modern Passion Play. And the others who are involved in that, the cast of characters, are, are preparing as well. Uh, copies of the Gospel of John were made available in your Sunday school classes for you to give. Uh, and we saw the dialogue here between Rick and whoever that guy was impersonating Dan Anderson. Uh, how you might play that out, okay? Whether it's at Little Pigs or, or whatever. I love to go to Little Pigs. And I always say I'm not going to overeat and I always end up overeating. But, but wherever you choose to do that, wherever there's places to sign up uh, for being involved in that in the atrium at the table. All right, so we've also placed emphasis on it um, uh, as we continue looking through the Gospel of John at seven great I am statements that Jesus made that are unique only to the Gospel of John. We talked about that John was different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. That They were the synoptic Gospels, and, and they focused more on the Son of Man. And the, uh, John's Gospel focuses more on the divinity of Jesus Christ and refers to him more as the Son of God. And he is giving great affirmation. He is recording these statements of Jesus uh, as Jesus proclaims and declares that he is the Messiah. He's the I am God who is sufficient for our every need. Now, when we look at it today, we'll find our text in chapter 10. Now, obviously, it follows chapter 9, but I want us to just to briefly think about the setting for this. In chapter 9, we see Jesus healed the man who was born blind, and he says for the second time, I am the light of the world. His first I am statement was, I'm the bread of life. The second I am statement was in chapter 8 and 9, when he says, I am the light of the world. And he said it in connection with healing the man who was born blind. Well, then it becomes a long story involving the Pharisees and the man and his family. The Pharisees can't understand who Jesus was and how he was able to heal this man. And the man gives great testimony to the fact that this was a prophet. And I know that I'm healed. And they kick him out of the synagogue because of that healing. And they criticized. The biggest complaint they had was that Jesus somehow... They were able to heal him. They couldn't doubt that. They didn't denounce that, but that he had done it on the Sabbath. That was horrible, to heal somebody of blindness on the Sabbath. And so Jesus is always playing off of the situations and the words. And so when we come near to the end of chapter 9, we hear Jesus saying then, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now that was a jab at the Pharisees. Of all the people who should have recognized him as the Messiah, they were blinded. They didn't. And so the Pharisees knew he was talking to them. And so they said, well, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now that sets the table for this third I am statement where Jesus says, I am the gate. Now some translations say, I'm the door. We'll also in verse 10 hear a very familiar phrase that he gives us abundant life in most translations. NIV that I'm using today says life to the full. So let's read in chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 where Jesus talks about being the gate for the sheep. He says, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. 
The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever come before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and had it to the full. Now what a powerful statement in this setting that Jesus makes. That he claims to be the gate. And here once again... Jesus takes something from everyday life, something that was common to the lifestyle of that day, and make an application of a spiritual nature about it. They all knew shepherds. They knew about sheep. They knew about sheep pens and sheepfolds. They were all over the countryside. Shepherds were still still in abundance over there now. If you're driven to, to the Holy Land, you can see shepherds leading their sheep. You can see some sheepfolds out in the hillside. And you can see them out taking their sheep, trying to find something to eat on the, on the ground and the mountainside that's just so bare from any kind of vegetation. But somehow they manage to survive. And it's in this setting that Jesus says, in some translations, I'm the door. In this translation, I am the gate. And so how do we understand that he is the gate as the I am God and at the same time, understand that as the gate, he is sufficient for our every need in life. I think it was easier, perhaps, when we talk about him as being the bread of life and being uh, the light of the world. We might can understand that. But being the gate, how do we understand that that identifies him as the Messiah and that speaks to the needs that we have in our life? Well, we begin by looking first at the announcement. Jesus makes it twice here in this gospel. In verse 7, he says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And then he says it again in verse 9. He says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, when they knew about shepherds and sheep, they knew about sheep pens. If it was in town, they would probably be built larger, where it might hold several hundred sheep. They built out of rocks, and they left a gate open because that's where the shepherd would stand and watch over the sheep. If it was out in the field where a shepherd would have to erect a sheep pen for his sheep for the night, then he would take some rocks, there's plenty of rocks over there still today, and about soccer ball size, and he would build a sheep pen large enough to hold the sheep. He'd build it high enough to keep the sheep in, but somebody else probably could climb over that wall. So sometimes they would come and they put the great thorns from that country on top of the wall to uh, discourage anybody from trying to crawl over and steal the sheep. The gate would be left open because the shepherd literally was the gate or the door, however you want to watch whichever translations you prefer on that. 
You know, oftentimes we talk about today, we go through this door to get to wherever we're going. We don't really go through the door, do we? Only Jesus did that. That great resurrected body of his on that Sunday night when he appeared to the disciples, he went through that door somehow mysteriously. But we go through the what? We go through the doorway. We open the door, and that opens the doorway, and we go through the doorway. Well, in this situation, you literally had to go over the gate, who was the shepherd, to get into the sheepfold. Because the shepherd would lie down in the gate. He would sleep there. He would stay there to protect his sheep. He guarded that doorway. He was literally the gate or the door. He provided safety and shelter and security. And so he meets our needs in that way the same way. And we'll elaborate on that in just a little bit. But then there's another great announcement that he makes at the end. Verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We might, we might prefer the, the, the wording abundant life and have it abundantly. But I, I, either way, it talks about a wonderful life that you cannot experience apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But that he and he alone imparts to us a life that is full and rich and has a meaning and purpose. He is the one who gives us a life that is abundant with all the resources that God has in store for his children. So that's the announcement that he makes. And it's it's that he is the gate, and he is the one who gives to us this abundant life, this life to the fullness. So how do we understand in meeting our needs? Well, let's think about the analogy. When you think about a door or a gate, they serve purposes like permitting entry and permitting an exit, or prohibiting entry and prohibiting an exit. And the analogy is true for Jesus, for his sheep, and for us uh, as his people today. All throughout the Bible we're referred to, his people are referred to as sheep, and it's not a flattering statement because sheep were notoriously dumb. You think they look so nice and innocent, and you get them cleaned up, and they're fluffy and white, and they just look so wonderful. But sheep were notoriously dumb. That's why they needed the constant care of a shepherd. They would put their head down at the beginning of the day and just keep their head down, just eating, eating, eating anything in sight. At the end of the day, they'd look up, and they wouldn't know where they were. They'd be lost. They would fall into ravines, and that's why the shepherd carried a crook with him at all times. And so being a sheep in the eyes of God is not flattering. That's why we need him. That's why we need Jesus as the good shepherd in our life. So at the gate, the good shepherd does these things. Jesus does. He permits entry. It's only through the shepherd that you're going to get in into the sheepfold. It's an analogy for us. It's only through Jesus are you going to get into the kingdom of God. To be the gate of the sheep means being the door for the sheep. And the sheep have to access the sheepfold by coming over, literally, the body of the shepherd. Or he has to get out of the way for them to come in. He is the gate. In fact, he is the only way in. In fact, in the translation from the Greek would literally be with the emphasis on it, I alone am the gate of the sheep and there is no other. I alone am the gate and he is the door through which we have to go. He is the gate through which we have to go. Salvation is in Jesus Christ and no one else. Not only that, but Jesus permits exit. He permits exit. You know, why would the sheep need to leave the fold? Well, they need to leave and, and go out and get exercise. They would need to find water. They would need to find food. And so the shepherd would have to take them out. And the scripture says to us here that they would take them out 
the shepherd would lead, they would hear his voice, and they would follow the shepherd, and they would find that. Now, the same is true for us. We can't stay right here in the safety of the church. There are times that we have to leave. There are times that we have to exit. We gather together for worship and edification and singing praises and glory to God. But we also are uplifted in our spirits. We're encouraged in our walk with God. And hopefully we're challenged then to go out and live into the world, this culture in which God has placed us, so that we can share the good news. That's the reason we're putting this emphasis on the Gospel of John, the book of John, the modern passion play, the Gospel of John, and sharing the written portions of the Gospel of John with people. We want them to get copies of the Word of God in their hand. We want them to read about Jesus Christ. That's one reason we leave. We have to leave so that we can scatter and be the people of God. You see, we've talked before about this, that there are about 100,000 people in our church field. If you come down I-77 from Blythewood to where it hits 20 and then 20 out towards Camden, that's our church field, those four zip code areas, about 100,000 people. We've also talked about the fact that in the state of South Carolina, there are 4.8 million people. About 330,000 people gather on any given Sunday to worship. 3.6 million people of that 4.8 million people do not have a church home. They do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means 75% of our population is lost. Those are people you know. There has to be. If there's that many people in the state that's lost, you have to know somebody. They're people in your family. They're people you work with. They're people you go to school with. And so we have to leave, exit this place, and go out into the world because we're supposed to take the gospel with us and talk about the great shepherd that we know. So Jesus allows us to do those things. Thirdly, he also prohibits entry. Let's think about a door for a moment. All kinds of doors. You have a door at home. You probably got a doorbell by the door that you use most of the time. Doorbell rings. Are you going to let the, whoever's at the door, you're going to let them in? It might be the ups driver, got a package for you. Yeah, you're going to welcome that, right? It could be uh, the publisher's clearinghouse crew. You want that? That's millions of dollars. It could be your in-laws. You're going to let them in? No? It could be Jehovah's Witness. You let them in, you, you're going to spend the rest of your day with them, right? Okay. So you have to, be, have to have some kind of act of discretion about who you're going to let in, who you're going to let out. Jesus says the door or the gate prohibits entry into the sheepfold for those who would want to do harm and damage to his sheep. He does the same thing in our life. He protects us spiritually. Let me mention three ways in that. He keeps condemnation from us. You know, even when we come to know Christ and we're saved, no matter what kind of background you come from, how deep and dark your sin was, there's always that tendency to slip back into the guilt for that and fear being judged for that sin. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, 1, and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That means you're not going to be held accountable for that because of Jesus Christ. You are righteous in his sight before the eyes of God. There's temptation that comes knocking at your door every day. You probably had temptation in some kind of way knock on your door today. Things just didn't go right as you were trying to get your family ready or yourself ready to get here to church. You didn't plan for Sunday morning, Saturday night, so you weren't ready for it. You had to get clothes. You had to get eaten. You had everybody in the car. You had to make it here. You know, you had, maybe you had to stop and get gas. You didn't do that yesterday. Maybe somebody's going, going the speed limit in front of you, and that just infuriates you, doesn't it, when somebody in front of you is doing the speed limit. 
You know, everything you call every light, okay? And so you get here in a frustrated mood. Temptation comes in all kinds of ways. You go to Little Pigs and there's a lot, there's more than 100 items of temptation on that bar. But here's the promise of Scripture out of 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You see, God provides through Jesus Christ the escape when we're tempted. Now, here's some things that might be difficult for us to accept. Jesus permits things to come into our life. He also keeps things. He controls what comes into our life. We have to understand then that Jesus allows certain things to come into our life and he controls what does not come into our life. And sometimes that's frustrating for us. But that's what he does as the good shepherd. But everything that he does is done as the good shepherd. Everything that he does is to mold us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ himself so that we'll be who God wants us to be. Then the fourth thing we think about is that Jesus prohibits exit. He guards the sheep, he says, so that they don't, they, that he doesn't lose any of them to anybody who's a robber. He's not going to let a thief or a robber come in and take a sheep and take them out. In fact, he says, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. And he said, they're going to follow only the good shepherd. They're going to follow only their shepherd. You go to, over to Israel today, you will see you still can see Bedouin shepherds with their flock of sheep. And if you listen carefully, you can hear a call or a whistle or a click of some sort that they make with their mouth. And their sheep know them and they follow them. I, I read an article recently about down in Australia where raising sheep is a, is a, is a big industry. That one man had lost a sheep, one of his little sheep. And he looked for it for several days and he finally found it. Well, another man, another shepherd, accused him of stealing one of his sheep, so they went to court. And so here's the judge. He's got one shepherd saying, that's my sheep. And the other man said, no, that's mine. It was lost, and I found it. So he did a strange thing. He said, I want the sheep brought into, into the courtroom. He brought the sheep, literally brought it in. And he had the first man, the plaintiff, who was accusing the other guy of stealing his sheep, to go out in the hallway, and he said, I want you to call the sheep. That guy called, and guess what? That, shepherd, that, that little sheep didn't move except it looked up with a fearful look on its face and didn't move. So then he said to the guy who was, a, who was defending himself, the defendant, said it was his sheep. He said, I want you to go in the courtyard and I want you to call your sheep. And he did. And guess what? The little sheep perked up his ear and ran out the door to go to his master, to his shepherd. Jesus says his sheep knows his voice and they will not follow somebody who is not the good shepherd. Jesus takes care of us. We have to understand that. And, and when we are in the sheepfold, when we have responded to the good news of the shepherd, when we are a part of that sheep, of that flock, when we're a part of the kingdom of God, then here's where we understand that Jesus, the I am God, meets our needs. Because when we are safely and securely enclosed with Jesus in that sheepfold, he meets two of the basic needs that everybody has in life. We want security and we want significance. We want security in the fact that we want to be safe. We, we want to be protected. 
We want to know that we have security and safety. We take a lot of measures at home. We take a lot of measures in what we've done in the children's area here to protect our precious children. A little inconvenience maybe for some of us to go out and around, but we need to protect our children. See, that's safety and security we're concerned about for that. Everybody needs significance. We want to know that we matter. We want to know that we count. We, we, we want our life somehow to make a difference in this world. We find that all in Jesus. How do we know that? He says, he says my sheep know, don't know me. He says, I call my sheep by name. The Bible and other places tell us that God knows the number of hairs upon our head. He knows our name. We are engraved in the palm of his hand. We're special to him. Listen, if the God of all creation, the God of the universe who knows everything is all powerful and in every place at one time is so concerned about us that he knows the number of hairs upon your head, then there is significance to be found there. You matter to God. You are uniquely created in the image of God your Father. And in that you find significance. And you're safely entrenched into the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that a little bit later on when we talk about the good shepherd in a couple, in a, maybe, probably next week. So then how do we come then from that analogy then to apply the fact that as the I am God who is the gate that Jesus provides for us and meets our basic needs. He says three things to affirm. Number one, Jesus is the only true gate to God. There are no other ways to God. He's the only true way to God. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Your good character, your reputation, all your morality, nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. It's only by faith in Jesus Christ that you can come to God. He is the gate through which you have to enter. He is the door through which you have to enter to come into the kingdom of God. Then secondly, Jesus opens the door for the life God has for you. It's the life that is abundant or it's life to the full as the NIV translation says. Now what does that mean? What do we find? What makes it an abundant life? What makes it life to the full? Well, there are three things that start with S. Number one, Jesus said, he, uh, Jesus says, if you come to me, he says, he will be saved. He will be saved. That's where we get that spiritual connotation about lost and saved. When you're lost, you're in your sin and you're away from God. When you are saved, you've come to Jesus, you've acknowledged your sin, you've confessed that sin, and and you are saved from that sin by Jesus Christ. And you're saved. The second thing is you do find security. You are saved not only at that moment, but you are saved for all eternity. Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of his hand. You are saved for all eternity. And then the third word starts with the S is, you find satisfaction in life. You're saved, you're safe, and you have satisfaction in life. We live in we live in probably the most wealthiest time that our culture has ever experienced. You make more money. You have more toys. You have more things. You have bigger houses. You have in the rent storage places to put all your possessions in. You've got more things to add to your life. You have more opportunities to be involved in different things in life. 
And sometimes you don't know when to stop. You're scattered because you're involved in this, you're involved in this, you're involved in that. You run your children to 14 different things during the week. The weekend comes and Saturdays are another day. They're not a day to catch up. It's another day you use Sunday to catch up. And all of that leads to a sense of unsatisfaction. But when you come to Jesus Christ and you experience him, he satisfies your life. You find satisfaction and fulfillment and contentment in the relationship with Jesus Christ because God fills you with what he wants you to have. And you're safe, you're secure, you're significant, and you're satisfied in the kingdom of God. Uh, Have you noticed some of the commercials by Philip 66, the petroleum company? I I really thought they'd go out of business. You hardly ever see a Philip 66 gas station anymore. But uh, I, I researched it when it got my attention going. And they really started this ad campaign in January 2018, which they entitled uh, Live to the Full. And they focus upon ordinary people like you and me and our goings about and our activities and going. And, of course, we need gasoline to get us where we're going. They want to sell their product, gasoline. But they do it with a great marketing idea. Life to the full. Live to the full. Well, Jesus says to you, I am the gate. I give you life. I give you life that's abundant. Live that life to the full. Live it to the fullness. And then Jesus eliminates all other doors. No other way, no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. Except through Jesus Christ. So he is the I am God who is the gate. And here's what it says in summation. When you go through Jesus as the gate, through Jesus You can exit a meaningless life and you can enter into a life that's meaningful, that's full of purpose, that has a mission, you're content, you're satisfied, you're saved, and you're safe in the very presence of God. So he is the I am God, even as he says, I am the gate. Because it's in him that we come into the kingdom. In him we are protected. In him we find security. In him we find satisfaction. In him we find the abundant life. And we can live life to the fullest. Because Jesus is the gate. Let's pray. If you have decisions to make, I trust you, you open your heart to God today. As we go into the time of invitation. Father, we thank you for sending to us the Lord Jesus Christ who would come as the Messiah and who would claim to be the gate so that we could know the way to you and we could find an opening to come into your presence. Thank you, Father, that he is indeed the I am God who meets our deepest needs in life. For anyone today needing salvation, may they trust in him as Savior. For anyone struggling with identity and purpose and meaning in life, may they come to him and find that sense of of significance and, and satisfaction in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who know him, may we live life to the fullest and share it with those around us so that they too might know the joy of life in the kingdom of God. For it's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen.